I'm Jasmine Moradi, and you're listening to the Queens of Tech podcast, a podcast series about raising the voice of workplace champions. 60 plus questions in around 30 minutes with women, non-binary and transgender influencers about their journey into STEM, science, technology, engineering and mathematics. I started the Queens of Tech podcast initiative in May 2022 because I would like to retain more women, non-binary and transgenders in the tech industry. Talent is out there, but our work environment needs to improve for all to feel safer, stay authentic and to be valued for our contributions. My vision is to raise the workplace ecosystem for all in the tech industry by killing the imposter syndrome, stopping bad behavior and increasing equity opportunities. Each podcast talk is built around 60 plus questions regarding upbringing, education, career path, DEIB, and future advice. My mission is to bridge the gap between schools and workplaces by getting to the heart of my guests' personal life and career journey to inspire other girls, women, non-binary, and transgenders to unleash their full potential to reach top leadership roles in the tech industry. My goal is to raise the voice of tech champions around the world and together with companies, investors, and politicians, raise the challenges and opportunities around equity, inclusive diversity, and belonging in our workplaces. Enough is enough. I would like to enforce companies to build a sustainable, inclusive culture, to retain diverse talent, so we keep the workplace power equity to continue building future diverse and inclusive products. Your voice matters. In this episode, I'm very excited to welcome my guest, tech queen Ilona Brannan, founder and CEO of Slate Digital. Hi, Ilona. Hello. Lovely to be here. Thanks so much, Jasmine. I can't wait to get started. Oh, I'm very happy to have you joining us from London, UK today. How are you? I'm very good today. Thank you. Yes, I'm enjoying the April showers. It's quite common in England at this time to have lots of showers, so sunshine and showers. So it's quite interesting to just keep an eye on the weather at the moment. Beautiful. London used to be my home, so it makes me homesick. Now, let us dive into your journey into STEM. Hope you're ready for the Queens of Tech 60 plus questions. I can't wait. STEM it to me. Let's warm up with a few fun facts about you. How would you describe your personality in three hashtags? I would say curious, kind, and adventurous. How would you describe your life in three sentences? Urban dweller, multi-faceted, interested person, lover of food and family. How would you describe your life in three sentences? I've reached a point of knowingness at this point of my life and enjoying everything I've worked for so far. What kind of music stimulates and motivates you the most? Day in, day out, ABBA. What is your personal motto? Be kind. What is your favourite book? My favourite book is Wild Swans. I can't remember the name of the author, but it's a beautiful book about three women in China, like a daughter, the mum and the grandmother. I love that kind of narrative. What is your favourite podcast? Obviously, this one is one of them, Queens of Tech podcast, and my own podcast, which is still loading, all about leadership in the digital age. And then another one I love is You're Dead to Me, which is a podcast which combines history and comedy. Mac or PC? Mac. Say something interesting about you that most people don't know. I am a karaoke superstar. I sing and I enjoy singing, and I spent a couple of years in Japan, so I'm really, like, really good at karaoke. What is your hidden talent? I'm a really good cook. If you were going to write a book about your life, what would the title be? Still loading. Ilona, great start. Now, let us dig deeper. Our childhood has an effect on our adulthood. Our early experiences shape our belief about ourselves, others, and the world. Now, I want to discover your childhood. Where did you grow up? I actually grew up in London and I still live in London. But I, along the way, I've managed to live in other places. But London is definitely where my home and heart is. What was your dream job as a child? Mum and dad were both teachers. So I think when I was very small, it was probably a teacher because I thought that was probably the only job that existed. And I think when I was very small, I wanted to be a ballerina. What was your favourite subject in school? I definitely loved history, but I also really loved the satisfaction of mathematics. And I loved chemistry because my chemistry teacher told me that if you're a good chemist, you're a good cook. 
What was your least favorite subject? I think it was geography, which is really ironic considering I've traveled a lot around the world. I think the teacher was quite dull. What is your earliest memory of technology and the arrival of the internet? I remember I was in primary school. I'm really quite small and they are literally announcing that they are bringing a computer, one computer into the school and it was going to have pride of place in the corner of the library. And we all gathered around it almost like cavemen around a fire and they switched it on and it went to get onto the internet. And we're like, wow, it's a computer. And yeah, it was just that sound. I think anyone who hears that dial-up modem sound, they're transported back to like being quite young when it all started. Which were then your very first technology gadgets you owned? I love, and I still do love quizzes. So I had one of those computers, which is almost like an encyclopedia and it's like a quiz game. So it looks like a computer, like with a laptop, but it has a tiny screen at the top. I think it's an ed tech thing and it tells you lots of facts and quizzes and everything. I loved that. I thought that was the most fun thing. Then I also had a Tamagotchi because they were big in the 90s. You had to have a Tamagotchi because how else were you going to be cool in the playground? And then the third thing from technology was my Walkman. And I actually won my Walkman in a raffle. So I was super impressed. And the thing about the Walkman that made it so special was it actually had a button outside where you could flip it and it would change the size. So you didn't have to take your cassette out and put it back in. So they were definitely three treasured technologies of my childhood. And who was your female role model growing up and why? It was definitely my mum. So my mum was a teacher of the deaf and she was a teacher of the deaf for, oh, for billions of years. She's retired now, but I always saw a mum working mum and I saw her love her job. And so I always knew it was possible to love your job. She says that she loved her job and I saw that and it was great to see. How do you think where you grew up and the school you went to and the generation you come from influenced your education and career choice? I'm an elder millennial. So what that means is I'm straddling between a Gen X and a millennial. So I had an analog childhood and a digital like adolescence, and that has absolutely shaped my career and interests subsequently. And also being from London, my classroom was like the UN. My best mate was from Ghana when I was little. And then another kid was from Colombia or another family was from Ireland. So I was so used to everyone being from everywhere and learning about all this diversity without it being like even a word then it was just the way it was in the classroom and I think that's really helped me to embrace new cultures new industries even because it's like that ability to work with enjoy being with lots of different people very interesting now I'm going to read two quotes first one how does the universe expect me to choose a career path at 16 I can't even choose what I want for dinner Second, Abraham Lincoln said, I quote, the best way to predict your future is to create it. So Ilona, I want to know the choices behind your career path. Where and what did you study at university? I studied history at university for my first degree. Then the second degree I have is a maths teacher certificate. And then the third one is a master's degree in international development studies, where I specialized in technology alongside our digital future. What professional roles have you had before that led you to start your own? Before I started my company, Slate Digital, I was in a startup, scale up as the head of consulting. So thinking about how companies could best use the technology that we had. So it was like a, a learning platform. So that was wonderful to understand how, you know, a piece of software can revolutionize a company. How can they also think about technology adoption so that it becomes really successful? Because if you give a kid a calculator, it doesn't mean they can do maths. It's the same with technology in a company. You can implement it, but if no one's using it or know how to use it, you're not going to see the transformation in your business. So that was before I set up my own company, which effectively does that now for startups. Yeah. So what does Slate Digital do? What I realized from working in a scale-up, prior to that, I was at PwC as a consultant. And so I realized there was a gap where scale-ups could really benefit from having consulting to help them tweak their business processes and help them to really accelerate their growth, especially in that moment when a startup becomes a scale-up, because you tend to then see the problems emerging because you're getting such a bigger group of people. You almost have to put in processes that work. You have to think about how to structure the organization. It can't just be... You and your mates in a room anymore. It's got to be a bit more sophisticated and professionals. And you can see the challenges that happen when companies don't invest in that space. 
What is your title and what is your main responsibilities? I'm the CEO of Slate Digital and my main responsibility is to effectively make sure we deliver fantastic quality to our clients. And also I'm the person who kind of has got to go out there and meet people. So I love talking to people, asking them like what's going on and I get to understand what's going on. And then I build the team to help solve the problem that the client might have. So one example is a client had a challenge with leaders in the sense that their leaders weren't like doing what they needed them to do. And it was a complete remote work world and a remote company. And so me and my team designed a program for their leaders to really align the values of the company, become great leaders and drive to the next level of growth for that company. What does a typical workday look like for you? I tend to wake up and do emails and sort of research in the morning. And then the afternoon, I'll be having meetings generally or working on like new business proposals. And I try to write actually every single day. One of the things about running your own company is you've got to create content so people know and understand what you're doing. There's a lot of writing in my job, which I was a surprise, I think, before you start your own company. It's incredible how much content you're going to have to create. That has been an interesting skill that I've developed over the past couple of years. I love the quote, choose a job you love and you will never have to work a day in your life. So Lonya, what do you love about your role? I love working out how to solve a problem. Even when I go out like for brunch or something, I'll be like looking at what's happening. My friends make fun of me about this because they're like, can you stop it? Because I'm like, they could improve their processes here and we could have a better, quicker service here and they could increase the revenue by doing this. And they're like, please, we're just trying to have brunch. I love being able to get under the bonnet of lots of different organizations and industries. And it's generally in tech because I love working with tech companies because every company has a personality and new tech companies tend to, like especially startups and scale-ups, have a personality of like we'll give it a go we'll we'll try and change something so they're more open to trying something new and I love being able to work with them to try new things and to really solve the problem that they're facing be it more growth or managers or fixing a process or technology adoption it's all really cool what is the best experience you've had in your role so far any examples The recent leadership development program that we designed and delivered for a client, I loved it. It's a totally remote company and the company had only been started since 2020 and they were scaled to about 500 people and they realized that they needed their team leaders to be better managers. It was a real pain point for the company and they needed to improve that. And so working completely remotely, working with the client uh, for total global participants, we had about four cohorts of people go through the program and it always makes you smile when you get feedback this is the best management program I've ever been on and you're like excellent I've done a great job so that was very very satisfying and a great challenge because I think remote leadership I talk about this on my podcast a lot but I do think it's a massive thing for the future like how do you manage and lead remotely or in a hybrid world I think it's a massive question that I certainly don't have the answer but it's fascinating to explore it and to investigate what works what doesn't. And what is the biggest challenge you've encountered so far and how did you tackle it? I think the biggest challenge when you run your own business is a combo of mindset, energy, motivation and burnout because they all sort of happen and you're the leader and you're the one who's got to get everything together. It's about then really managing your energy so that you stay positive, you stay focused, you stay motivated, but then you have to be careful that you don't burn out because that can happen. So I'm learning to ride the wave and understand when I need to take some time off or do something a bit different, which is where the singing comes in because that's my one sing a week where I go to a pop choir and we sing pop songs so last term was 80s pop songs and so it's the one time of the week where I can just be like I'm not going to be a CEO for a moment I'm just gonna sing songs and what do you wish everybody understood about your role That there's a lot of reflection. You know, you've got to really think about what you're going to do next. It's a lot of strategy. It's a lot less doing, but you've got to really think about the doing that you've got to do and think strategically. Because if you pick the wrong direction, that can cost you more time. And so that's where the kind of reflection and that's where the writing has been really helpful to really reflect about what's been working in the company, what's been working for clients, what's the trends out there. So there's a lot more thinking involved than I would have realized and thinking strategically is key. What is the one common myth about your professional field that you want to disapprove? 
I don't know if you've ever had consultants come in wherever you are, but sometimes there is this idea that consultants just come in and they maybe have a nice suit on or a nice outfit, come in, tell you a few things you already know and then leave. One of the things I really like to do with my clients is actually like work alongside them, work with them, check in with them. It's not just a report fling and then I'm out. It's more how do you operationalize that report? How do you operationalize the research, the insights? How do you make the changes happen? How do you make the changes stick? Um, things like nudge theory or behavioral economics can really be quite important as a consultant. And I think sometimes there is a sort of hesitation to bring in consultants because it's, oh no, I don't need to be told to suck eggs. It's actually having sort of like a very clever strategic colleague who can help you solve the problems that you're facing in your business. What do you love about working in the tech industry? It's the mindset, oh yeah, we'll try something new or we're going to be open to change and open to trying new things. That is more common in the tech industry because when I was at PwC, I worked in other industries and it's not the same. There is a different culture within technology. And I think it probably is based on the cadence of software development. If because it's almost like every new iteration of a piece of software, that's kind of the fabric of how it's all made. And so because of that, everyone's always like, okay, we've got to improve and release the next version. Oprah Winfrey said, I quote, think like a queen. A queen is not afraid to fail. Failure is not a stepping stone to greatness. So Ilonia, what have by far been your biggest achievement in your career? On a personal level, I think when I sold my first contract as a CEO of Slate Digital to a company and it had the invoice on it to my company and it was a big contract and I was just so proud because I'd done it for my company, you know, and then it was up to me to manage everything. Yeah, that was a real sense of achievement. And then on another professional level, I think the other thing that I'm always mega proud of was a thing that I did when I was a teacher. So I was a teacher of mathematics for a few years in London with uh, Teach First, which puts you in challenging schools and like in deprived areas. And I basically came up with this concept called Risk Week because I wanted to encourage my students to take risks and to step outside their comfort zone to help them realize they could do whatever they wanted to do and that no one should hold them back. And that that week is now like there every single year at the school. It's like a thing that they do every week, every year. And like that week we had people volunteering to start new clubs like Philosophy Club or Beyonce Dance Club. We also had another student win a national app building competition that week because she put herself forward. And one student was elected to the UK Youth Parliament. And these are just some of the highlights of that week. And she even said, Miss, I wouldn't have done it, but you said take a risk. So I put my name down and I got voted in. And so it made me realize that when you've got an idea, and I did have this idea, and it took years to eventually put it into action, keep at it, just take small steps towards it. And there'll be those moments where you're like, wow, I really just made a difference to a lot of people's lives. And it was like that movie moment. And I was like, this is in the book. This is in the movie of my life. What is then the biggest fact that has helped you become successful in your success habits? I'm very curious and I read a lot and I try to read things that are maybe outside of where I'd normally be reading, if that makes sense. So, you know, like I remember when I was younger and my dad had flipped through the telly and he flicked over to Al Jazeera. And I remember being fascinated by the fact that it was a different news that was coming out of Al Jazeera. And so what I try to do is read different outlets so that I almost get a different perspective from them. And I think that's probably even going to be more important as we go forward in the digital age because of the algorithm. We all have to become much more like intentional with challenging our own beliefs because otherwise you can get very, very narrow. We're just the same things on repeat. So I think that's definitely a success habit that I think is going to be a differentiator for people that do it. How do you measure your performance at work? Usually by the feedback from our clients. That's how I know that we're on the right path. The feedback's always pretty good, but I really do ask for developmental feedback as well, because that's how you know there's something you can do to improve or develop next further. As long as my team are happy, I'm happy. What is your biggest failure in your career and what did you learn from it? When I was teaching, my contract was not renewed. The uh, school decided that they didn't want to renew my contract. I was a trainee teacher at the time and I was really devastated because I was really confused. I think it was the first time in my life I hadn't succeeded at something. And it was also a bit of a shock to me because up until that point, I'd been getting really positive feedback from everybody. 
And then it got even worse with the school. And they kind of went on a bit of a campaign of not really supporting me. They said to the university, she shouldn't get her teaching certificate, et cetera, et cetera. I had just bought a flat as well at the time. So I had a mortgage, a new mortgage, and I've just been let go of this role. So I did what I think is a really good recommendation for anyone, which is reach out to your network. Um, your network is your net worth. And it really was at that time. So I had an interview with another school and they loved me. They thought that I was brilliant, amazing, got a new job and it was all set up to go in September. So this happened in the Easter. And so I had to do one term, finish out the year and then go to the other school. And that school that had let me go, bear in mind, they then decided I wasn't good enough to pass my teaching certificate. They went on and on about it. And then in the end, what happened was last sort of week of school, an independent inspector came came into my lesson that wasn't part of the university, wasn't part of Teach First, wasn't part of the school. And they observed my lesson to actually verify what, what was going on. And she observed the lesson, finished the lesson. I was like, okay, I've done the best I can. I don't know what's going on here, but okay. And she said, that was a brilliant lesson. You're a wonderful teacher. And I'm so sorry that this has happened to you. And I'll be putting in a complaint against this school. And I was like, oh my God. But what that taught me was I am a resilient rhino when I want to be. And uh, yeah, I was very proud of myself. What's interesting now, though, that I'm a bit older is I don't think I would have taken the same approach. I think I actually would have looked after myself more and probably have either gone to the doctors and been like, I need to have some time off or something. And I think that's just with age. You realise that you don't have to prove everything to everyone. You can actually just be like, no, all right, fine. You know, we're not a fit, whatever, but moving on from there. And then it subsequently turned out a couple of years later that school went into special measures and all that jazz. So it's one of them things. Sometimes it's not fair. Sometimes it's hard, but for sure. The key for me with all of that was use your network. It's a Amazing. Amazing story. What is inspiring and motivating you the most in your role and career right now? It's this question about leadership for the digital age. It's just fascinating me because I have been fascinated by leadership for a while. At PwC, I was lucky enough to design and deliver a leadership program for the global partners of the firm. And this was done seven something years ago. This was pre anyone even knowing about COVID or there being even a remote working world. You know, it was almost like a novelty if you worked remotely. You were like the strange person who like you hear about, but you never see. And now it's so common. It is so fascinating. And I I was doing research before the pandemic about leadership development. Okay, so this is a question for you. How old do you think before the pandemic was the average age for someone getting leadership development training? 35? 42. That was from my research. 42. And like 70% of companies say that they didn't really think it was that effective and all that sort of stuff. And for me, knowing a lot about the human development that I do, but that 35 is almost too old for leadership development. You need to be starting those skills of emotional intelligence, delegation, negotiation, conflict, like management. You need to start that way, way, way earlier. It's not 42, my friends. <laughs> we need to be doing it much sooner. So yeah, if I could do anything about digital leadership, leadership in that right now, I would just have more people who are like in their 30s doing leadership development and getting those insights on how to be a good manager sooner so that we have better managers. Because if you have better managers, you have a better time at work. And then if you have a better time at work, you have probably a better life and a better family and we have a better society. It seems a bit grand. I think there was an article a couple of weeks ago in Forbes that said your manager has the same impact on your mental health as your partner. So that's why I really believe in this. And there's a reason why they say you can't teach an old dog to sit. Yeah, exactly. And so I just feel like get people doing these skills younger because by the time you're 35, I think your personality and, and mind is pretty set. So you need to be doing it much sooner than we realize. Let us now jump into the influence of mentors, role models, champions and sponsors. Role models can consciously or subconsciously be a powerful force in our lives. In addition, champions can stand up and advocate for us and open up the world of possibilities. Sponsors match emerging talent with leaders and influential employees who can help us move ahead in our careers. Ilonia, do you have a mentor, champion or a sponsor today? I have a mentor. I have a couple, actually. I think my mentor as well could flip into a champion slash sponsor. So one of them is a, a female entrepreneur. So she's actually one of the um, podcast episodes. She was my first podcast episode, actually. She runs a cooking school in Paris and she's an entrepreneur. She runs her own business. So it was just wonderful to have her as my mentor to be like, what do you do with this? Or what do you do with that? And so she's actually been through it so she can help me through those hurdles. And then my other mentor slash sponsor 
slash champion, because he's a lot of different things, is a very well-connected dude. And he's wonderful and he's very kind and he's like door opener. So if I need to connect with someone or if I'm interested in a particular thing, he's a person who knows the person who I can speak to. But the thing with that is I need to go to him with the right information. I can't just go introduce him to anyone. It's got to be like with value for him. So definitely find yourself those. It's almost like a broker slash connector person. They're fantastic to have in your contact and network and then have someone who can honestly just give you the support that you need as you're going through it. And I used to in the past have younger mentors who would like I would mentor. And I remember in one of these leadership development things, they said you should have someone who's further ahead than you, someone at your level who you can sort of talk to, and then someone who's more junior than you. So you can get a whole like really holistic viewpoint of where you can help and where people can help you because you actually learn a lot from mentoring someone else. It's definitely something on the cards for the future. And who is the female, non-binary or transgender role model you look up to in your field? I'm not sure about my field. I mean, I really like a lady called Cindy Gallup because she just talks about how women should just make tons of money. I think it's just great because I think as women, we're not taught to necessarily want tons of money. We're supposed to like look after everyone and be kind, which is great, but you can also have tons of money. There's lots and lots of talks I've been to through the years with successful business women um, and successful women in general. You know what the theme has always been? They've all said, have your own money and your own bank account, and then you'll have a better relationship with your partner because then you're, you know, you're Calls. And I just think we need to do much more about educating women about finance and about money because uh, there's a huge pension deficit. So lots of women, when they're older, don't have enough money. So yeah, that's kind of a big thing for me. Anyone that's doing anything in that space, please do more because it's great. History shows that it has been more common for men having mentors, champions, and sponsor in business than women. So Ilona, how important do you think it's to have a mentor, champion, and sponsor during one's career? Absolutely fundamental absolutely fundamental. They can help you open doors, like with my example, or give you like wisdom and their experience. I think as well, like I'm a product as well of being a millennial woman who grew up with independent. No, and all the songs were about being an independent woman. And that's all going well, but actually you don't get anywhere without like help from others. And I really recommend if you haven't already joining a group of some description, some women in tech group, I'm sure there'll be some in your local area. I'm lucky enough to live in London. So there's tons get to know people who are trying to force on their career as well. I really would also suggest to everyone who's listening, become a mentor to someone else because you'll learn so much from the process. Let us move on to leadership. Adina Friedman, president and CEO of Nasdaq said, I quote, empowering those around you to be heard and valued makes a difference between a leader who simply instructs and one who inspires. And Shelly Samber, ex-CEO of Facebook said, I quote, leadership is about making others better as a result of your presence and making sure that the impact lasts in your absence. Ilonia, what does leadership mean to you? I think it's doing the right thing and helping others be the best that they can be. What do you consider a good versus a bad leader? I think a good leader listens and is empathetic to others. And I think a good leader has a vision that they can communicate clearly to everybody. A bad leader, by definition, would then be someone who is unclear, maybe like unstructured as well, because I've seen this in the past where people are almost like expecting others to be mind readers. And it's like, if you've not told anyone where you're trying to go or done it in a way that they understand, why are you then cross with them if they're not going in that direction? And also just being only out for your self-interest, um, I think, is a bad leader. So those are some of the qualities that I've seen and observed. There's definitely a, a new style of leadership that's emerging where you have to be much more subtle in your skill set, um, much more nuanced and developed. And it's a complex range of skills that I think it can be developed for sure. I love leadership because I think it can be developed, but you have to put the time in and it takes time and effort. Who is your favorite female, non-binary or transgender tech leader and why? 
I was researching this and one of the reflections I had when I was researching this is it was hard to remember the person's name, right? So it's the CEO of Bumble and her name is Whitney Wolf Heard, right? And I had to Google that because I couldn't remember her name. And I was like, isn't that fascinating that tech men, like male CEO leaders, you know their names, their household names. Yet this woman, you know, she had the first billion dollar company. Uh, she created Bumble after having a right bad time at Tinder. You can almost see the evolution of how that all happened. And yet I had to Google her name. And I think that's an interesting reflection, right? It should be she's a household name just as much as anyone else. And that's why we're doing this podcast, isn't it? So we have more women who are household names and you can be like, oh, yeah, like da da da. And you're like, oh, yeah, okay, 100%. How would you describe yourself as a leader? I'm very empathetic. And I'm very kind. That's absolutely true. And I think my teaching skills are really valuable to be clear with everybody and to also know that it's my responsibility to provide that clarity and context and understanding to my team, but then being able to say what it is that I want. The one thing I could definitely do with um, working on is probably to be a bit more organized. Sometimes I can get a bit like a crazy professor and just have everything everywhere. And it makes sense in my mind, but yeah, maybe a bit more organized to help other people. And as a leader, what values are the most important to you? I think the value of clarity is really important. The value of empathy, um, the value of you know, being inspirational, like that quote that you said at the beginning, it's not enough to instruct someone. It's got to be something that's within them. What leadership lessons have you learned that have formed you into the leader you are today? Well, the story earlier, for sure, taught me how to be a resilient rhino and to be steadfast in my convictions. I was right and I was treated unfairly. I cannot stand injustice. So yeah, standing up for oneself is a really important part, I think, of being a leader and especially, unfortunately, being a female leader, because you are going to get pushbacks and unconscious bias means that even if you're doing it as good or better a job as a male counterpart, you are judged differently. It sucks. It really sucks. And I don't want that to be the case, but it's a reality and it can be frustrating um, and difficult sometimes to reconcile that in your head. But being able to just be steadfast in your convictions and know that you are doing a fantastic job and being your own best advocate is a really vital component, I think, for any female leader. What are your three strengths and three weaknesses? Three strengths. Determination. Innovative. I think that comes from growing up in a very multicultural world in London, but also having lived in about five different countries, so like Japan, the Netherlands, Italy, Buenos Aires, like Argentina and Cuba. So all of those things has made my brain very innovative. It's quite remarkable. And then I think the third one is inspirational. I do get that feedback quite a lot when I actually do meet with people. They're like, wow, you've done all those things. I'm like, yeah, and you can too. And then they feel like they can do that. So I think that's great. I think my weaknesses, as I mentioned, sometimes the organization could be a bit better, just at least to help other people, because it makes sense to me, but it doesn't make sense to everyone else. Recognizing when I'm about to burn out, um, it's hard as an entrepreneur. It's like you're riding a wave, like you're surfing, and you've just got to go with it. And sometimes you're like, I know that this is the wrong direction, but I kind of have to keep doing it because things won't get done otherwise. And another weakness, I can sometimes procrastinate for too long. Let us now jump into the hottest topic in business today, workplace culture, unlocking the power of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Ilonia, what do diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging mean to you personally? For me personally, I think it's when everyone has equal access and like a stake at the table. So it's not just that you're in the room, but you're also having someone facilitate the meeting in the room. So you all get to speak. That to me is real diversity and inclusion. What do you consider being three to five signs of good company culture if you were to join a company? One, actually having a culture. You know what I mean? Like they actually say, this is our culture. That's a big tick. Not every company has it. And especially when it's a startup and scale up world. Another good little sense check is 
does it make sense? You know, like their company values. Like if it's a long-winded sentence, it's not a value. That's a statement. If a value has to be quite distinctive and you center around that concept of a value. So a value like integrity or innovation. So if it's a sentence, warning, warning, they don't really know what their values are. And I would say the other thing to look out for is at least one of their values, employee-centric. If it's not, then they don't necessarily look inward at their people and employees as a real core component of how they're going to do business. As a woman, what has been the most significant barrier in your career and how have you overcome these challenges? There's a few. It really is true that you are judged differently. Like I have experienced that, right? So incredibly qualified, incredibly capable, incredibly talented, yet my peers who are male somehow are getting bigger jobs, more money and all the rest of it. And part of it I can see as a mindset shift from women, but I just, I know it's structural and I know it's systemic. I can sit here and talk all the affirmations in the entire universe I want and, you know, be like, I can achieve anything. There's a limit to how much when the pushback is such. I know many, many years ago, they did a study with like a CV of like Jane and John got more callbacks than Jane. It was the same CV. So yeah, I think really understanding that structural and systemic bias is there. The world of work was not created for women. We are redesigning it and we're involved in it, but there's still a long way to go. Well said. Why do you think it's important for more women, non-binary and transgenders to join the tech industry today? Okay, this is really important. Our whole world is pretty much tech enabled now, right? If you think of it from government services, at least in the UK, are now predominantly online to the way that you order your shopping or interact with, you know, your friends and family. When people are designing anything, they can only design from their own lens, right? I can't expect a man to design a world that fits what I need because it wouldn't make sense, right? It's like I couldn't necessarily design for a man. So the reason you need more people who are women, transgender, non-binary, etc. in the world of tech is to ensure that more of reality is captured and you produce better quality services, products, tech things, tech solutions, a tech economy that actually is fit for purpose and benefits everybody. Do you and how do you speak with your colleagues about DIB challenges, for example, salary gaps and promotions? I tend to work with like my clients and one of my um, friends who I actually did interview with for the podcast, she's an actual gender pay consultant. And one of the things I think that's really important is to actually have conversations about money, especially women, because the amount of times I've literally been sitting there with friends on the phone and they're like, oh, I just took it because that's what they said. I'm like, no, you always go back and ask for more. You always negotiate. Even if they come back and say, no, you're just practicing the skills Um, because then you're almost setting them up for when you do have a pay review they knew you were already asking for more then. So I think more conversations about pay and incentives. And I think if your company's rubbish about that sort of thing, then do your research, right? Glassdoor's brilliant because it will tell you like the average pay for your, um, you know, your field, be what, that whatever. I think LinkedIn also has some sort of, um, if you have the premium service, you can actually get benchmark data. So do go with that. And then when you've got your benchmark, then you know that's your lowest price. And then you always add on your specific skill sets, your unique contributions, and just, you know, always add tax. There are many public and internal discussion about the barriers women, non-binary and transgenders face from reaching higher position in the tech industry. How do you feel it has affected and is affecting you? And what is your advice on how to best unblock these roadblocks? For me, one thing I'm doing that like actively is I am pursuing a board career. So I'm obviously CEO of my own company, but I want to be on the board of other companies. So I have started that journey because it takes a while by being a trustee of a charity. And the reason I want that is because notwithstanding the research says having women on boards means you have better outcomes for a company. But we need more women in boards so that we have better decisions being made that are inclusive of women and their perspectives. And because boards have a huge sway and decision in companies, you know, often the CEO, I mean, I don't have a board, thankfully, because it's my own small company, but usually what happens is the CEO and the C-suite are usually answering to the board. So that's why having more women in boards is really important. And I think that could be the significant change that we all need to see. 
And today, tech companies spend a lot of marketing money to attract women, non-binary, and transgenders. However, at the same time, they're finding it hard to retain them. Articles show that women are leaving the tech industry. So what is your best advice or strategies for how companies can work to build a stronger corporate culture that engages gender diversity and equity? Well, actually, investing in it, I think, is a real important part. Often, with at least with the scale-ups and startups I work with, like culture is almost an afterthought. If you actually build in equity, you know, diversity, inclusion, equity, etc., into your culture from the beginning, as early as you can, it will pay dividends later on. But just sort of thinking it's a nice to have, it's already too late to go back on that. Yeah. So I think really thinking about culture early on in a company and also investing in it. So really taking the time, not just like after work cups of tea or something, really putting structures and programs in place so that you're actually getting people to think about it properly. But however, what would you say are the few challenges of implementing the IB belonging culture in a workplace today? Time. Time is a huge thing. There's a lot of like pressures on people to just do their job and drive performance. So even if there was a fantastic like diversity and inclusion framework that, that the need is to be implemented, people are then not doing their job because they're investing in this. That's why I feel like it has to be part of the culture because then it's part of the way that you do your work. It's the part of the way you do business rather than an add-on later on. You mentioned this a little bit before, but if you can give us some examples, why and how do you think companies would benefit from having not just women, non-binary and transgender leaders, but actually higher gender representation at sea level and boardrooms? Well, you're going to have better outcomes for your business if you have more women on your board. I think if you have more than 30% of a board is female, the, I think the rate return on investment's better and uh, like a higher ratio. I think there's two things as well here. One is you do need more female leaders and you need to also show that it's great to be a leader in your company if you're a woman. Equally, I think it's also important that you invest in leadership development for your leaders, be they male, female, transgender, non-binary, because it's a skill set that needs to be developed rather than assuming, oh, they're in that role. That's fine now. And it's like, no, give people the skills and tools that they need. Invest in that and it will give you so much more, um, I think, for your company and for your people. How much do you think the tech industry has changed regarding the IB since you joined? So here's a funny story. I remember when I went to like a silicon drinkabout, you know, like near Old Street, silicon roundabout, basically. That's what they call that area in London. It's supposed to be like our Silicon Valley. It's not. It's a massive roundabout. Please, no one go visit it. It's not going to impress you much. I remember going to one of the social events there many, many years ago when I was a teacher. I was really interested in the startup scene, especially with like ed tech and things to do with education. And I went to one and it was mainly men. I think there were three women, me and two others. And I went to one of the organisers. I said, oh, are you going to do anything for women? He's like, why? Why would I need to just come to the events? And I was just like, you don't get it. And now, of course, there's so many women's events and meetups and stuff. But one of the things that I was reflecting on was when I started my career in the tech industry, I actually started a social enterprise to, called Learn to Tech Off. And it was about encouraging people to get into um, careers in technology. And one of the things I wanted to do was increase female representation in technology. But the slight twist was it was absolutely imperative that men and women came to these workshops. Men and women both were in the mix. Why? So that we actually open up the discourse and we actually open up the conversation and we start learning from each other. So one workshop I ran was about negotiation and it was absolutely brilliant because the men could observe that the women weren't asking for enough and the women could observe that the men just were flagrantly asking for whatever they wanted in this workshop and it helped then everybody to understand the challenges of being a woman in tech the things that we all need to do to advocate for more fairness and equality and I suppose that is the next iteration I want to see I want to see there's more discussion about these topics between all the groups included right because I think women we know what the situation is it's now about bringing everyone into that conversation Absolutely. I agree with you 110%. Looking back on your career, what one thing would you have changed in your working environment to break the bias? Well, a small thing is I'd love the temperature to be a bit warmer in offices. I don't know if you know this, but they're set at the temperature that is comfortable for a man. And so that's why you see a lot of women in offices with jumpers on. So that would have been helpful because I was just cold for a lot of my career. 
And I think I would have loved there to have been a bit more like of a stringent sort of promotion process. Like this is like one of those quotes, you know, sort of thing about women and men. Men seem to be promoted, at least from my observations and anecdotally, on potential and women are promoted on performance. And so I would love to just change that, right? So you can only get promoted if either you both are performing or you're both given the opportunity to have the potential to do that role. And I just would like everyone to challenge themselves when they're promoting someone to be like, is there evidence of this or is this my feeling, you know, my justification? Because I saw that in action. You know, have the, has that person done a great PR exercise or have they actually done great work, right? So really judging people on performance, that would be a game changer, I think. Looking forward, what will you do as a leader to improve the bias for the next generation of women, non-binary and transgenders in tank beyond the amazing work you're doing consultancy and teaching the future leaders? I'm going to be on a board. I'm going to teach other women how to get on a board and I'm going to make it very easy for women to get on boards. That's my mission from now on. Let us move on to another hot topic in business day, which is work-life balance and mental health. Ilonia, you have without a doubt a busy lifestyle. How do you take care of yourself to maintain good mental health? I drink lots of water. I broke my collarbone last year. And ever since I broke my collarbone, I need to drink much more water. I don't exactly know why. I'm not a doctor. But that really helps because staying hydrated means that you're less frazzled. It's also a great way to take a break. And I've learned that too many coffees is a bad idea. So definitely drinking lots of water. And I would say for my mental health, again, I'll go back to the singing. Do something in your life that is totally just for a joyful, you know, release whatever that may be in your world but find it and don't let anything get in the way of it because there's been times when I've been like I don't want to dance to choir then I go and I have a great time and it's or it's been a really tough day and a client's been like really challenging or something but then I'll go and I'll be like just singing an 80s pop song you know the singing Let's Dance by David Bowie and it's like how can you not be happy after that you know definitely find out what that thing is that just lights you up no matter what and don't let it go don't go oh I'm too tired don't do it be really disciplined on that you touched on it a little bit earlier have you experienced a burnout yes I have I tell you the good thing about experiencing burnout there is one good thing when you have actually experienced burnout you are better at recognizing the signs so there is a benefit right so then you're like oh oh this feels like the thing again I'm not gonna do this I'm gonna change direction I think the way that I dealt with the first time I ever burnt out was just like lots of rest at the time and then like really understanding where my boundaries were. And I think this is also symptomatic of potentially like the indoctrination that we all get as children at school. Like, you know, study hard, study hard, do all the things. But that was almost like information and um, advice from another time. You know, now I think the advice is have boundaries. You can't, you can work all the hours that God sends, right? Because you've got the internet and you've got emails flying in all the time. It's really about managing your energy and being boundaried with your time. So that's definitely my thing for anyone who thinks they might be burning out. And again, I think really doing things like the choir or things that bring you joy, that can actually reignite the energy that you have. And then what is your advice on how companies can create a more mentally healthy workplace in a new now? Well, it'd be great if we could have like sing songs Thursdays or something. It'd be great. Just everyone gets up and sings a song. I think I'll go back to what I was saying before about leaders, right? If your leader has as much impact on your mental health as your partner, and we know that uh, if you have a bad manager, most people leave jobs because they have a bad manager, right? Or they don't get on with their manager. So if all managers upskilled their emotional intelligence and their skill sets in leadership and understood more about themselves and about others, then I think we would have better workplaces and we would have more diversity, equity and inclusion because people would be more skilled and educated in how to be a good leader. What motivates you every day to get out of bed? The fact that we're only here temporarily, so you better get up and enjoy it. That's what I tend to do. Make the most out of every day because we're all here just temporarily. Now, let us wrap up with a few words of wisdom and a piece of advice for our listeners. Lanya, what is the best piece of advice you've been given that has helped you during setbacks in your role and career? I don't think it was advice that I heard from anyone per se, but I think the advice that has helped me is really to connect with your intuition. Now, your intuition is effectively what I have come to understand it as, is almost like the culmination and the summation 
of your whole life experience. Basically, your brain is always recording what is happening to you. And I think your information, the intuition is you giving feedback to yourself about something. So the more you can be in touch with yourself and the more you can really connect with that part of you through journaling, meditation, whatever mechanism to really deepen that connection to self, you will make better decisions aligned with you and ultimately your purpose for being here because it will make more sense to you. So it's not actually the advice of others. It's more really connecting to the advice of yourself. And then what is the worst advice you've ever been given and how did you tackle that? It's probably something to do with like, you've got to suck it up or something. You've got to just push through if something's not good. And, you know, the story I mentioned before with that school. No, actually, you don't have to. I think as I've got older, the power of quitting, the power of leaving, the power of saying, no, this isn't for me. I think that is actually more valuable. You, as I mentioned, we're only here temporarily. So why waste your time on something that's not in alignment and it's just causing you pain? Sometimes you know the difference. Sometimes you do, do have to push through. Sometimes it's not awful, always joyous and that's okay. But if it's really a misalignment, you do not get this time back. So learn to quit and quit well. Is there something you wish you would have known or a skill you wish you had when starting out in the tech industry? I think what I know now is definitely network. Go to those meetups, meet people, connect with people. I mean, I went to a lot of different things and it was great, but I almost wasn't as intentional as I should have been with it. And I think if anyone is interested in the tech industry, just go because actually people love to chat and mingle and there's lots and lots of meetups in it. So yeah, I'd say that's probably the best way to understand about what you are interested in within the tech industry and your particular niche. And yeah, your network is your net worth. So do invest in it. If you had the ability to go back in time to when you were just at the beginning of your career, what advice would you give to your younger self? I would say probably don't work too hard because I did work a lot in my 20s. And it's like when you look back now, you're like, well, okay, fine. <laughs> Make sure you are doing um, some good things. And I think this is especially important for women because of just the way that we're socialized. Get very comfortable and get good at promoting yourself and self-promotion. Because think of it this way. You've done fantastic work. I've got no doubt about it. It's stellar. But nobody knows about it. And it's up to you to tell them about the fantastic work that you've done. And so learning that skill set early on of how to promote yourself and how to actually be your own PR engine, I think, is a huge advantage. What advice would you give to young girls, women, non-binary or transgenders who want and trying to break into STEM fields today, especially wanted to become next generation leaders? I think definitely go to meetups. Almost challenge yourself to just take risks, right? Like write to people, write to Jasmine, write to this podcast. Be like, hey, could I be a person on this podcast? Go to conferences, be like, hey, can I connect with you? The one thing I have to say about the tech industry in general is it's very open. You might get a couple of no's, but generally most people I've come across are like, yes, how can I help? Because of that mindset, right? So don't think about it too much and just reach out to people and just start taking action. Last but not least, what is next for you in your role and career in tech? What are your career aspirations? I'm going to continue with Slate Digital and do the consultancy. But my goal is within the next year or two to be on a board as a non-executive director for a scale-up, right? So that way I can actually influence that company, learn my board skills, then tell other people how they can get on boards and do all that. Amazing. I look forward to follow your journey. So thank you very much, Ilonia, for being a guest on the Queens of Tech podcast, sharing your journey with, without a doubt, inspire change and reshape company culture for the next generation of women, non-binary and transgender leaders in tech. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening. If you have worked in the tech industry a minimum of three years and would like to share your journey, please nominate yourself or somebody you know to i at jasminemoradi.com. For more podcast episodes and to learn more about the Queens of Tech initiative and to support us, visit queensof.tech.